You all can hear me? All right. So good evening. Uh, we'll be continuing in the Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But before we go there, I would like to pray uh, one more time. Father, I thank you for this uh, opportunity to open your word and to ponder upon uh, the things that you have hidden in, the, in those words, God, for our edification. Father, I pray that you give me wisdom um, that I may exalt Christ uh, through the scripture right now. I pray that you give the ears to hear uh, that we may uh, progress in our sanctification. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we're going through the book of Galatians, and Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia. Uh, if you look at the, the map of Galatia, when I, when I look at, when I read Acts, it's always helpful for me to look at the map where these journeys are happening from what place to what place. So Galatia is in uh, modern Turkey. Uh, if you have the map in your home, then the Galatian churches were, some are south, some are north, right? And the, Paul goes to these churches and plants them during his missionary journeys along with the other disciples. So in this letter, Paul, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he rebukes the, uh, and establishes the case for the gospel. And he specifically addresses the Judaizers. Judaizers are people who are Christian, who are believers, accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord. But again, they depend their, um, some of the Old Testament laws they still try to apply on top of their salvation. And these guys... They plague the churches in Galatia, and they try to enforce a circumcision should be part of the um, a ritual that the believer should follow. And we heard from our, our pastor, Emeritus Pastor Gary, a few Sundays ago, from Galatians 1.7, that there is no other gospel, right? There is only one gospel, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul defends the very gospel in the rest of the letter, that we've been going through chapter 1 and now we're in chapter 2, with a sound reasoning, he gives the case why we should believe what we should believe and rebuking the heresies that came through the came into this church uh, by these uh, Judaizers. And finally confirming the believer's true exaltation is found in Christ and Christ alone. So Paul is excellent at writing letters. I don't have to build a case for that, and New Testament stands as a witness for that. Um, a few weeks ago, I was walking in my one of my work buildings. Then I found that uh, there is a plaque. Uh, I, I work for a paper company, and uh, we always uh, promote paper and its usage. Uh, and then it says, when you write with your hand on the paper, certain senses of your brain works, which you don't feel it when you type it out these days text right? So writing on a paper has certain impact in your brain. It doesn't mean Paul is a good writer and uh, he used to uh, write on the paper has anything to do with what he proposed, but, but it, when you think about writing on a different ways impacts your brain, it's the same way listening and hearing are two different things. When you hear, sometimes you don't actively thinking that should impact your heart. But listening is, on the other hand, when you listen, you're actively thinking and listening. 
So you apply these truths to your heart. And Paul writing these uh, uh, letters to these Galatians because he pours out his heart to these churches in chapter 2. And Paul, who called to be a missionary to the Gentiles, and uh, he validated the truth uh, that circumcision is not required. So he went up to all the way to Jerusalem from Galatia to get the confirmation that circumcision is not required by the disciples. And then the disciples agreed to that. And, and then he continues on. He, uh, we come to the le- verses 11 and 14. He talks about the truth of the gospel by rebuking one of the pillars in the early Christian church, that's Peter himself, right? And we observe Paul's passion, whatever Paul does, right? Whatever Paul does, whether it's the persecuting of the church or planting a new church, he does it. He does it well. Because we see that Acts 7, he, per- he kills Stephen because he was ardent of keeping the law and then he has the same similar passion defending the gospel, what he believes that is truth. Paul knows the implications of understanding the gospel because the law chained him in every way, brought him under the curse. He embraced the grace of God that freed him from this curse altogether. So he believed that gospel. He not only just believed it, but he practiced it. And not only just practiced it, he preached it. And he discipled other people in the same line. So as we go in this... uh, Verses 11 and 11 through 14, we see Paul's conflict with Peter is not just a conflict with Peter, but he is trying to explain through this conflict how the gospel should be preserved from these heresies. So let's uh, look into the verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came to him, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he questions this on his face in front of uh, different people in the church. Before we go into that text, let's understand who are these people in this church? Church in Antioch. Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It takes about... 15 days to travel to the city, and it's one of the third biggest cities in the Roman Empire, as you know, and it has the largest Jewish community in that city because of its popularity and because of the economic growth it has. And when the gospel reached these areas, a lot of Jews accepted Christianity. They, they, came, became, they became Christians. And along with Jews, there were a significant number of Gentiles accepted the religion into Christianity, converted into Christianity. So the church, you can see that it's a vibrant church with different people of Jewish community background and then Gentiles. In verse 12, we see that, so Peter was there 
as part of his uh, uh, missionary journey to go to the Antioch, we don't know at what times Peter traveled there, but we know between Acts chapter 10 and 11, we see that Peter's travel happened during that time. In verse 12, we see certain men came from James, who is a leader in the Jerusalem church. When he saw that men, these are all Jews, Peter pulled himself, eating with Gentiles. And when we think about why did he pull himself back? Because there are certain ceremonial laws that Jews enforced on top of the actual law that was given to them. Because there's no such thing that you shouldn't be eating with Gentiles in the first place. And then they put these additional laws to segregate themselves, segregate people in the community. So Paul thought legalistically. He didn't think through faith. And he pulled himself back. So tonight we'll be seeing, looking at a significant amount of legalism and what is exactly this legalism and how does it impact the truth of the gospel. So legalism, it could be a very simple thing. It starts in the minds and hearts of the believers, even in today's church. Legalism is present in different forms. Now Peter is one of the church... uh, Now Peter... So when, when I look at this, the whole context, the three things that stood out. Peter was condemned. And uh, Barnabas was led astray. And then finally, the truth of the gospel. So when Peter stood condemned, let's look into the verses 11 and 12. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed, to him, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back, and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter was condemned because he was not in step with the truth of the gospel, because gospel calls us into freedom. But Peter stood against the freedom, the very freedom that gospel offers. Because the gospel, when you think about it, It came with much suffering because a sinless Savior came into this world, died a gruesome death, paid the penalty of our sins, took the wrath of God. All these things, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So the net result, when you talk about the net result, is we stood justified before God, eternally holy, and before this eternal God. So condemnation, what is this condemnation we're talking about here? If you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when there is no condemnation for people who are in Christ Jesus, and Peter, who started off with faith and stood condemned, it is a dangerous thing, friends, when you add things to the justification. Justification is a done work. It is done, and it is one-time thing. We are justified once for all. When we start adding things to the justification, in your own terms, you're declaring Christ's atoning work on the cross is insufficient. When you start building that spiritual house that you're doing right, when you try to build on top of your moralistic way of building things on top of your faith, you're on your own because you're interpreting the gospel in a different way. You're no longer building the house on a solid rock, but you're building your house on a quicksand. 
Uh, to that point in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, it reads like this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on, a, on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So when you look at this scripture, these guys are building the house on not on a solid rock, which is the foundation Christ. You're building the house based on the comfort of your own rules and regulations. So now look at the Peter's life, right? Now Peter, Peter has an impressive resume. Don't you think he knows all these things? Because Peter walked with the Lord all his life, all his missionary journeys. And then look at the, if you look at the Peter's credentials, Peter was the first disciple that he confessed that Jesus is the Lord in Matthew 16 and 17. And Peter was the first disciple to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And Peter was the first to preach the gospel to Gentiles in Acts 10. So Peter was doing all along these things. But we see a different Peter in this, perplexed with his choice of eating or not eating with the Gentiles. He feared the Judaizers because maybe there is a strange fear that is going in his mind. They might persecute him. Or maybe he was thinking they might look down at him as a leader. Or maybe it's a, a wrong self-esteem. Different things going in Peter's mind. We don't know what those reasons are. But Peter was in this situation not this is the first time. There are multiple times he was in this, in this spot. There is another account in Matthew 14, 28. It talks about, and Peter answered to, to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on, on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But he saw the wind. He was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So he was with Christ. And Jesus responded to his unbelief with a gentle correction because Peter showed a lack of faith even with our Lord. And similar to the other situation, when things happen like this, Jesus always, God now will let us travel in this journey after we're being justified there is a process that is sanctification that continues on. During this process, we need to be part of a believing church, a Bible-believing church, because the calling of a church is to sanctify its members. And this is a part of the church that we call each other unto holiness because we correct each other, we confess our sins to each other. That's why going to a church and being a member of a church is very essential. And in this situation, God sent Paul to correct Peter when he showed a faith that is not firm on the gospel. So I, I'm just going to call you that, imagine that you, if you're part of that group of non-Jewish 
believers in, in the church at Antioch, how would you feel that your leader who preached the very gospel and he deserted you to side with his own people and you will be alienated and you feel what we are hearing? Is it the gospel, that very gospel that you heard through him is a problem? The problem here is not just the unbelief. It's a cultural problem as well because these uh, Jewish believers who came from Jerusalem, they came back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. They accused Peter. Hey, you went there and you ate with the Gentiles. And Peter has to give them an explanation because they are not in step with the gospel. So now the question we must ask ourselves, the culture is always has different caveats. You have a culture in those early first century, first century church, and then you have a church now, we all always have cultural issues. We preach the gospel in different ways. We give the prosperity gospel, social gospel. We heard from uh, uh, Jay last week. There are different kinds of gospels. But we must ask the question, did the gospel really transform my life or not? Oftentimes, we show our preferences based on our comfort. And it has nothing to do with the gospel. My preference of a church service or a choice of songs that I sing or a specific dress code. All these things we try to add on top of our faith. It looks like a dirty rags. So do these additional rules and regulations create a sense of security in your life and finding your completeness in God than finding that completeness in God? Are you still holding the comfort of how I was raised at home or culturally or the church that I attended growing up still transforms my thinking or am I being transformed, continually being transformed by the gospel? Because we have to think about it. The gospel must transform our lives, not just parts of our lives. When Adam and Eve fell into the sin, the sin tainted, polluted every part, every sense of our being. We were polluted in every way. Our senses were darkened. And all those dark spots need to be washed anew like snows. Because that's why we see in First John, the, the darkness is going away and the, light is, the true light is shining. Even those moralistic Christian beliefs that we implanted in us through the wrong gospel in some places. So we are going through Pilgrim's Progress in our Wednesday class with our kids. And uh, we talk about the Christian who carries his load of burdens coming from the city of destruction. And finally, he lost his, the big bag of burden, and now he's at last free at the cross of Calvary. The bag contains everything, basically. Not just part of the sins or part of his, he, he didn't keep a pouch of something else. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a Christian in the first place, right? So the, those are the things we need to be thinking, actually. A 19th century a Danish uh, philosopher, Kierkegaard, writes like this. True Christianity is the deliberate and refusal to be offended. 
That is to say, it requires such a state of mind in which that which is potentially offensive, in spite of its offensiveness, is accepted as truth. What it means, you should be stopped getting offended by these worldly rules, because gospel calls, calls you onto the truth, and where is something against contrary to the gospel, you should not feel being offensive, getting offended by those kind of rules. Why? Because Christ came in the flesh, in the form of the creatures that he created, and he was afflicted, put to shame, put to death on that cross, and he took the wrath. There is a reason for that, so that he gained you and me, which we are worthless sinners, and we can stand before God, and we be called victorious and justified. So with that, Peter's, when Peter was was condemned, stood condemned. Now we look at Barnabas. He, would, he was led astray. So now look at the verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was, was led astray by their hypocrisy. So when the leaders swore from their stand, they tend to affect their, their followers because the leaders are the model to keep the uh, model for the flock when the leaders swerve from their path and they embrace the wrong things, they in turn impact the people who they're leading. But Barnabas, when you look at that kind of Barnabas, he has an impressive account as well. He was one of the first converts in the Jerusalem church. In Acts, Acts chapter 4, verse 36 to 37, we see the account of Barnabas. There's Joseph, his name, is Joseph, his name was Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas a Levite and native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas has something unique about him. He's a son of encouragement. That is a gift from God because he loved to encourage people. And God had opened his eyes uh, much before Paul. And Barnabas was not only an encourager, he has a heart for the mission and a heart for the ministry. He was a helper to the disciples, and he went to Antioch to minister to the church on behalf of the disciples. So look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to 26. There is an account of who Barnabas is, uh, was uh, in terms of uh, the missionary work he did. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the church. So Barnabas was given reins to the Antioch church by the elders. 
to just to go and check out on the church and how they're doing it. And then on verse 23, he has seen the grace of God that is working in these believers' lives. And then verse 24, he uses his judgment. And he says to them, remain steadfast, having seen the work of the Spirit. So he has witnessed the Spirit of the Lord and the grace of God. And then he, he, was, a, he was a good man in verse 24, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So we see a, a tremendous account of Barnabas. He's a faithful member of the Jerusalem church. But even him was confused when he saw Peter took a double standard on the gospel. His encouraging spirit went down and he became, for a moment, very discouraged. A discouraged Barnabas that you would ever see. So Peter and Barnabas together almost put the message of the cry, cross in jeopardy. So friends, if you are a believer, you must you most likely have the testimony of your conversion, right? We all have a conversion testimony. We all have a testimony that how we were saved, how grace of God came and saved me while I was in sins. We all have that. We all hear this. That is one of the, the sweetest times in our evening services. We get to hear the testimonies of people, how the Lord worked in, worked in their hearts. But uh, along with the, the testimonies, we need to remember Sanctification is a journey, right? And the sanctification is renewing your minds every day, not just uh, on the day that you were saved from your sins. And Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners. We are sinners by birth. We are sinners in need of grace. But God saved us from our sins. Now the question is, are you consciously aware of your sins every day of your life? Are you, is your time with the Lord is just as sweet when you were saved at the first time? The first time you came to the Lord, you have a passion. I would like to read the Bible. I want to pray. I want to know God. But do you still have that kind of passion today? I'm not asking you to add things to your testimony. But are you living out the testimony that you first professed? When he came to Christ, when you look at Paul's life, we see a, a living testimony of Paul in multiple places in the scripture. Philippians chapter 3, 12, he talks about, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make my own, because Christ Jesus, he made me his own. In 1 Timothy 1, 15, he talks about, the saying is trustworthy and deserving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He realizes while he is being saved, he realizes that he's a sinner. Our senses, our actions, our thoughts need to be washed with the scriptures so that we know that we know that we are his people. And we confess those sins. We always heard this there are two kinds of people, two kinds of sinners. Sinners that they repent, sinners that do not repent. The people who repent are the ones that God already worked in their heart. They're in the path to glory because the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin. Because if there is no conviction in your heart that you're not being convicted when you, do, when you fall into sin, there is a problem. 
there's a problem that you need to go to the Lord and pray and ask. There's a problem. So, friends, are you feeding your soul and mind with the scripture every day? The question. Are you like this Barnabas who's waiting, who's waiting to be led into temptation? When the challenge came, his very own leader, who planted the faith in his heart, led him into confusion. If one of the leaders, by God's grace, we don't, hopefully not, but if one of our leaders take a wrong stand, are you strong enough that you are conscious enough that you're not to fall into the trap because you know the word? Because that's why Paul says, imitate me while I, while, as I imitate Christ. Because we are not imitating people. Ultimately, the meaning of the discipleship is not making people in our likeness, but making people in the likeness of Christ. So do you examine your motives of yourself when you spend your time in the social media? Because that's a, a very big thing today. A lot of times we try to use the social media to express our anger, frustration, or get some attention. Are you praying for your leaders? Are you praying for your pastors? Are you praying for your elders and deacons? Are you praying that we uphold the mystery of the gospel every day that we live in this world? Are you praying for their consciences, that their consciences are not fogged by uh, the pleasing men, but their consciences are always pleasing God and for the glory of God alone? If you're not praying for them, I would encourage you to just pray for them. So now we see these two strong men, Peter and Barnabas, strong in the faith, led by the false notions, and then left the gospel. And God's, God, is not, God is not gonna let these men fall away. He sends Paul to confront them and bring them back. And Paul preaches the truth of the gospel. So, the verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, Peter was born in this Jewish race. As we go into Leviticus this morning in the Sunday school, we're talking about how gruesome it is to sacrifice those animals' blood day in, day out, every time you see God. There is no freedom in that because you keep on doing those things, sacrifices, every time you face God. But Paul embraced there is a freedom in Christ because Christ came and he's the foreshadow of all these things and he accomplished all the things that God has said before the Israelites through his burial and resurrection, through his sacrifice. So Paul understood that his stand before God is through Christ, not his righteous work. And Paul knew, or Peter knew all these things are, was accomplished in Christ. So it made no sense when Peter stood against the gospel and depending on these rudimentary things that he thought that would add value for the momentary second. 
So Paul's desire in this passage was to alert the believers in the Galatian church. So when you look at the the events that happened during this time frame, the chapter 2, Paul went to Jerusalem to get the confirmation that circumcision is not required for the believers. And uh, Acts chapter 15, I was going through the study, Acts chapter 15, there was a Jerusalem council that happened. And these events of chapter 2 were around between Acts chapter 10 and 11. And Paul, writing these letters to Galatians so that these letters were read in the church, so they knew that these laws don't have to be followed. He said, and even I defended the gospel with Peter, one of the pillars of the early church. So the, the members of the Galatian church would be strengthened. So he was showing them an example of what happened a while ago in Antioch. And Paul that he opposed fiercely to Peter. When, when Peter was opposed, and Peter has nothing to say about it. And all these things were written in this letter so that the believers would be encouraged and see that what the work has been done. So now when you look at this, the craftiness that devil throws at us, I was talking about how the legalism spreads into the church and try to drag people away from the faith. The devil is the crafty one when it comes to cause a division in God's people. The concept of legalism is not new. When you think of legalism, it was first introduced through serpent in the Garden of Eden to Eve. And she bought into it. Sinclair Ferguson writes uh, in one of his uh, newest books, The Whole, the Whole Christ, uh, he writes like this. It was intended to dislodge Eve from the clarity of God's word. The serpent asked Eve, did God really say that? Later, the attack focused on God's authority. You will not surely die. But it was more than that. It was an attack on God's character. Despite the initial struggle, Eve's ears were soon closed off to God's word. The serpent's tactic was led her into seeing and interpreting the world through her eyes, not through her ears. So when Eve fell into that, the whole humanity, they bought into this sin. So the, it is very uh, crafty when you think about this. The serpent is a conduit in this case. They, it could be anybody is uh, a conduit for this kind of legalism. In this case, we see Peter is a conduit for legalism in the Antioch church. It could be anyone in the church, even a pastor. So Galatians 1.8, talking about everyone who practices such thing will be accursed. There is a curse for those people. And for the hearers, what about the hearers? There, is a, there, is a, there are dangers for, for the hearers who buy, buy into those kind of legalistic views. Once we are in this legalistic treadmill, so we'll be like running and trying to do all these things, running hard, but you never arrive at the destination, but you're always running. Charles Spurgeon quotes like this, our conscience, the moment we give the conscience, our conscience always says, this is not perfection. It ought to have been better. We got to do something better than this. What is the better than the gospel that Christ gave us? So look at the life of Abraham, our forerunner in faith. 
He believed and obeyed God's providential love towards him and his family. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20, uh, we, we see an account of Abraham's faith. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew stronger in his faith as he gave glory to God. In verse 22, that is why his faith was con counted him, counted to him as righteousness. So we, we know Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. And we know from Ephesians chapter 2, 8, it reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. So the faith counted to him as righteous, and faith is a gift. And when you talk about this faith, faith is very trivial, but Hebrews 11:1 1, it defines what is faith. Now, faith is this assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. Even though you're not seeing that, but you're convinced. The Christians are the people who are hopeful people. They hope in God. They hope in glory. And how does this faith produce? Romans 10, 17, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the, or the only way the faith comes is through hearing the word of God and through God. So if the believer's hope in salvation began in God, then it should end in God. If you start your journey in God and in, end in works, that's not Christianity. Andrew Fuller, I don't know how many of you heard, he's a missionary, um, a Baptist missionary, um, a Baptist preacher of 1800s. He supports the mission work and he's writing this letter to William Carey. He's a missionary to India. He writes like this, I could as often make similar complaints in return, but let us rather pray for each other and strengthen each other's hands in the Lord. It is wonderful that God should do anything but such poor groveling sinners as we are. One thing, I, however, is manifested by it. The work is entirely his own. And if we should reach the kingdom of God at last, it must be by great grace. God has honored us, not a little by employing us in this great work, but as the honor does not belong to us, we must return to it. The crowns do not seem to fit our heads, therefore they must be cast at the feet of Jesus. So the crowns that these men of the grade of, of old, the crowns doesn't fit their heads. We often heard this sentence, we always hear, there is a cross before the crown. Uh, but, but not there is a cross, because we don't need a cross as such that made up of material things that has no value. But our crown is Christ himself. Because Christ gave himself to us, so Christ is our crown. So Peter and Paul and Barnabas, all three were called to be the ministers of the gospel. And they took the gospel to different places. And then later in the years, Peter stood strong against the face of the Judaizers. And he defended the truth of the gospel to them. We see that account in chapter 11. And Barnabas led his own missionary journeys. And not with Paul. He took uh, John Mark along with him. 
And then Paul, you all know Paul. And they, all these three men spend the rest of their lives for the glory of God. God blessed them and called them in eternity because they found their joy and their completeness in God. Not in this world, but in Christ and in his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, word, God. We love you for the truth of the gospel that saves sinners. Father, I pray that you give us heart and, and the conviction to follow it and not to fall into the, wor the, the, the works righteousness. But we stand on the justification that Christ has done.